Michael's Fowell, a gospel-centered community for Fowell, Teddington, and beyond. Our passion is to see every life following Jesus. For more information, visit our website, stmichaelsfowell.co.uk. And now we're going to turn to the part of the service where we look at God's Word together. Uh, Ed's going to come and preach to us from Psalm 8, but before that happens, Lucy's going to come and read to us. Lucy will have the page number, but Psalm 8 roughly in the middle. So yeah, our reading is taken from Psalm 8, which is um, on page 546 of um, the Church Bibles. So Psalm 8. For the director of music, according to Githith, a Psalm of David. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Wonderful, Lucy. Thanks so much. Good morning, all. Um, let me give that to Simon. Thank you very much. Um, do keep that open. We're going to be looking at a number of different passages uh, this morning. Uh, some of those uh, will be printed out on, on the handout, so um, you can have Psalm 8 open, but uh, the handout will be especially helpful. As ever, if you want to jot down some notes, feel welcome to do so. Uh, we're starting a, a, a new series, a three-part series um, called Secure and uh, I'll say a little bit about that in just a moment. But shall I pray as we come to, to God's word? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your voice, for your direction, for your truth that we have in your word, the Bible. Uh, Lord, please help us to, to listen to what you would have us know about both who you are, but also, particularly this morning, about who we are in relation to you. Lord, there's so much uh, confusion in our society. And Lord, please uh, help us to lean to listen on your word now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now here's a question for this morning. Do you ever struggle with insecurity? Do you ever struggle with insecurity? Or let me put it in a number of different ways because we might not go straight away to the, the term describing ourselves as insecure in some sort of way. But what about this? Uh, do we ever feel inadequate? Do you ever feel inadequate? Do you ever lack a sense of self-worth? Uh, does the opinion 
of certain people at certain times ever matter to you too much? Uh, Do you ever feel that you have never quite done enough to prove yourself? Do you ever suffer from FOMO, fear of missing out? Do you ever feel like something of a fraud? Do you ever struggle to receive criticism? I could go on with questions like that, but I wonder, I'd be surprised if uh, any of us answered um, no to all of those. Uh, Because we do, we do. We feel insecure in so many different ways. And insecurity, actually, it it manifests itself in many different ways. Uh, Sometimes it can manifest itself in sort of meekness and assuming blame on ourselves. Other times it can sort of manifest itself in sort of bravado and overconfidence. Uh, Sometimes insecurity leads us to avoid attention. Uh, Sometimes it leads us to demand attention. Uh, I guess we all know it is part of our lives to some degree or another. And the truth is it, it damages our lives and those around us in so many ways. And the world that we live in is not short of suggestions for how we deal with it. Uh, Often the world will tell us there's a whole industry on building self-esteem. And I'm not saying not all of that is bad. Uh, But the world tells us, you do you. Ignore what other people say. But does that really help? Does that help us grow in security? How we understand ourselves is of huge significance. And what I hope is that over the next three weeks, this series, this thematic series, is really going to help us see what the Bible has to say. Our normal practice here at St. Michael's is to take a book of the Bible and to work our way through it. But every now and then, we do a thematic series where we see what does uh, the whole of the Bible say about particular topics. And uh, the topic we're going to be thinking about is security, and particularly it's about our identity, uh, what it means to be human, uh, what it means that we're trusting in Jesus Christ to be Christian, how that impacts our life. And I want to say the Bible has incredibly good news here that will transform us. Uh, so the, the title's over the next three weeks. Today we're thinking about uh, being secure in our humanity. Next week, secure in our salvation. The following week, secure in our purpose. And uh, as we think about being secure in our humanity, uh, on the handout, you'll see there, uh, three titles. And the first of this, first title is this. Our humanity is given. Our humanity is given. Now, if you look back through history, Uh, And across the world today, I guess you could say traditional societies would, um, they would tend to uh, give people their identity as as the community. The community would give the identity to people. So you're a son or a daughter, a father or mother, you're a farmer, whatever you're doing, you're working. Uh, Your your identity is um, 
put upon you by your community, by the people around you. Uh, What is expected of you? What does it look like to live a good life? That's sort of baked into tradition. But in our society, it is different, isn't it? In our Western society, our modern society, our identity is self-made. It's something that is supposed to come from within us. So when we ask the question, who am I? How am I to understand myself and my existence? Our culture, our society says, you just need to be yourself. Be yourself. Don't worry about what other people think. Don't listen to what the community says. You do you. Be yourself. And there are just thousands of examples of this. Let me just give three quick examples of this. One was from New Year's Eve, uh, New Year's Day. Uh, did you uh, watch the firework display um, uh, in central London? Fantastic firework display as ever. And it had a really interesting um, narrative to it. Words that were being spoken, and some of the words were this. Uh, London is a place for everyone where you are free to be... Oh, dear. Throwing things around. Uh, where you're free to be uh, who you want to be. And love who you want to love. That's really striking. And actually, it puts very well how our culture thinks about our identity. You be who you want to be and love who you want to love. Another example is a film from a few years ago, uh, Frozen. Any Frozen fans uh, out there? Uh, There are a few Frozen fans. I saw a few. uh, Dad, Simon Richards, hand up. Uh, Elsa from Frozen, fantastic song, Uh, Let It Go. You all know the song, Let It Go, don't you? And uh, there there you go, there's some of the words that Elsa, I'm not going to sing them, Uh, my voice is too croaky. Uh, But she says this, uh, well she sings this, don't let them in, don't let them see, be the good girl you always have to be, conceal, don't feel, don't let them know, well now they know, let it go, let it go, can't hold it back anymore. And the whole sense of that song is, She's breaking off the um, expectations of her community. The traditional society says, you've got to behave like this. You've got to be like this. She said, forget it. I'm breaking that all off. I'm going to be who I want to be. That is what that song expresses so clearly. Let it go. That's, again, a brilliant expression of how our culture understands what it means to be human. Third one, uh, the UK Girl Guides membership promise. And my niece made this uh, a couple of weeks ago. And it is fascinating. It changed in 2013. I don't even remember uh, the change there. They used to promise to love my God. And that was replaced with this. I promise that I will do my best to be true to myself and develop my beliefs to serve the king in my community, to help other people and keep the guide law. I promise to be true to myself. That's fascinating. It's a fascinating shift in how we understand ourselves, our identity. We are to be true to ourselves. Now, uh, a number of people have described this way of understanding ourselves as uh, what is called expressive individualism. Expressive individualism. I think it's a really helpful phrase for understanding what our culture says about what it means to be human. Uh, We're to express what is within us. And we're to decide who 
I am. Doesn't matter what other people think. I've just got to be me. I need to be true to myself. I need to fulfill my dreams, to follow my desires. Now, the root of this way of thinking, it goes back deep, back in centuries of thinking. Um, And if you want to think about that, then can I really recommend a podcast, which I found really helpful recently, which I've uh, put on the back of the the handout, called Post-Christianity? And uh, Glenn Scrivener, Andrew Wilson, two fantastic uh, thinkers, Christian thinkers, um, uh, really bat this around, and they go way, way back. And Andrew Wilson particularly has written a book uh, where he says the key year is 1776. Uh, that is the key lens through which to understand uh, so much about the way our culture thinks at the moment. And I really commend that podcast uh, to you. And I, what I want to say is that um, not all of this is bad. Not all of this is bad. Uh, the understanding of the importance of the individual that has emerged over the last 200 years or so Uh, is good. The uniqueness of the individual, the personalities that we all have. The Bible also has lots to say about our inner life, our desires, our emotions, our feelings and affections, Uh, and, and the goodness of that, and the goodness of expressing those things. Just look at the Psalms to see that. So not all of this is bad, but there is a huge problem here as well. A number of huge problems with this. Uh, one is that it assumes, this expressive individualism, is that it assumes that we even know what we want. Do we even know what's going on within us? And what happens when our inner desires contradict each other? Simple example, we might really have a massive desire to have a stellar career, to succeed in our career. And yet we also have a massive desire to have a relationship. And in our lives, it turns out that the two just can't work together for whatever reason. Uh, which one wins out there? Which one's the more important desire? Which one is more of an expression of you uh, than the other one? So it seems we even know what we want. Uh, second, it puts us under huge pressure. It puts us under huge pressure not only to define ourselves in the first place. That is hard enough. To be self-made is difficult. But also to live it out. If you don't live the dream, then our world will say, or we will think, well, I'm a failure. And the reality is, of course, none of us do. So it often leads to lives where we sort of, in our teens or 20s, we're, we're sort of full of hope. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change the world. I'm going to be exactly what I want to be. And the reality, our schools often encourage that thinking. And then in our 30s, perhaps we get quite frustrated. Things aren't mapping out quite the way we thought. Then it can lead to our 40s, our 50s, turning to cynicism. So it puts us under huge pressure. That's the second problem of it. And the third problem is that it's not actually even possible It's not actually even possible. It's not actually possible to simply create our own identity. To simply say, this is who we are. To establish our own significance. That that sort of phrase, I don't care what other people think. That is actually just not realistic. That's not possible. 
We can't actually do that. We need affirmation from beyond us. We need our worth to be conveyed upon us. We can't just conjure it up for ourselves. Which is why the Christian message is such good news. The Bible has wonderful news to say here because it tells us that in our humanity and our our identity. It's not something that we can achieve, but it's something that we have received. Not something we can achieve, it's something we have received. It's not something that we have to gain, it's something that is already been given to us. I just want to take us to, to one verse you'll see on the handout there uh, from the beginning of the Bible. Uh, Genesis chapter 2. And there we see how human beings came to be. We read this. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. It's amazing truth. The reason we have life is because God has given it to us. Our life is given. Our identity is given. It is not something that we have to conjure up for ourselves. But what is given to us? What is it that's given to us? That brings us on to our second heading. And that is this. Our humanity is glorious. What is given to us is something absolutely glorious. Uh, Genesis chapter 1 speaks of how we are made in the image of God himself and that makes us glorious. This brings us to Psalm 8 which is just the most wonderful psalm and a wonderful reflection on what it means to be human. It starts by looking at God himself and how majestic God's name is above everything. Verse 1, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. God is glorious. And the psalmist starts off by looking at God, and then he starts to consider the world that God has made. And in particular, he thinks about human beings that God has made. And then he comes on to verse 5. Have a look at verse 5. Speaking of human beings. You have made human beings a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. It's a brilliant description of what it means to be human. Uh, Matt Fuller has written a brilliant book. Again, I put this on the back of a handout. Uh, Be true to yourself. Uh, It was our book of the term not so long ago. I know many of you have read it and really enjoyed it and appreciated it. I highly commend that to you again. Uh, But I love the way he describes, summarizes Psalm 8 here about what it says about us as human beings. And he says this, we're not gods, but we wear crowns. We're not gods, but we wear crowns. At that verse there, you made them a little lower than the angels. That could also be understood a little lower than... um, Uh, God, you have a look at the footnote there. But we wear crowns. So we're not gods, 
God is God. He's the creator. We are created. Uh, it's always important to have a distinction between the creator and creation. And we're part of creation. But what is extraordinary, as this psalm declares, is that we've been crowned uniquely within creation. There is something about humanity that is different from all of creation. We've been given a glory and an honor. We've been given a crown that is different. That gives us extraordinary dignity and worth. We've been made to rule this creation. We've been made to relate to one another and to God himself. There's a sense in which humanity, we stand between heaven and earth. Uh, Matt Fuller, again, this quote uh, we'll now read. Uh, I love the way, again, he, he goes on to describe how we, um, the dignity we have and how we relate to, to God himself. God comes first. We're not God. The Lord is first, he says, and we are his reflection. He is sound and we are echo. He is the king and we are servants. He, we are image, not original which means we can only understand what it is to be human after we've looked at God. It's an incredibly helpful insight. Uh, when we look to God, we understand more of what it means to be, he's the original, but we are the image, which is incredible to think. The dignity, the beauty that there is in humanity. And it means this, Every single person who has ever been made is not of just some value, but is of infinite value and worth. There is no such thing as an ordinary human being. We are all of infinite worth. We've been made by God in his image with all the beauty and the dignity that that means. And so if we're ever tempted to feel worthless, to feel insignificant, then know who you are. Know who you are. You're a creature made by God himself. You've been given his breath. And therefore, everyone matters. Everyone matters. That all are equal in that. Now what's interesting is that that isn't something that's particularly controversial in many ways to say today. Uh, we believe in human rights. We believe that uh, human beings matter. We're upset, rightly, when we see human beings suffering. Everyone matters. Uh, the little guy matters as much as the big person matters. We take that for granted. And I just want to uh, think about this for a little bit in terms of um, what this means for our evangelism, actually. Uh, and I want to encourage us in this. So again, uh, the podcast and actually a book I was reading from Andrew Wilson, he, he pulled this out and I thought it was just fascinating. So let's go back to 1776, okay? And what happened in 1776? Uh, all sorts of things happened there. One of the things happened then was... Um, uh, the Declaration of Independence in America. And there's a fascinating thing about that declaration. This is how it reads um, 
or, or ended up reading the Declaration of Independence, famously said this, and it was a big moment in sort of human thought, really. Um, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men, meaning all human beings, are created equal. And then it goes on. These truths to be self-evident. And what's so interesting that Andrew Wilson um, says is that actually the original draft says something a bit different. The original draft, written by Thomas Jefferson, said this. We hold these truths to be sacred and undeniable that all men are created equal. And Benjamin Franklin came along, and what he did was this. He scrubbed out sacred and undeniable, and he wrote, well, self-evident. Because then is it so obvious? Isn't it so obvious that all human beings are of great worth? Why do we even need to say that this is sacred, that this has some sort of Christian religious origin at all? Um, it's just obvious. All human beings um, matter. We're all equal. We all have dignity. The trouble is, it's not self-evident. It's not self-evident. Our culture today agrees with Benjamin Franklin. It is self-evident. We all matter. And yet it's not self-evident if we start to think about it. Uh, if we're just made of stuff, if there is no God, if there's nothing beyond the material universe, why do we matter any more than a banana? Because we're all made of stuff. We actually share 40% DNA with a banana. Did you know that? Uh, if we're just made of stuff, then why does that mean we matter any more than a banana? It's actually incredibly difficult to argue for that. I think I say it's impossible. Actually, throughout human history as well, you can see plenty of examples of where human life hasn't really been regarded as particularly significant. So Tom Holland, you might have come across a historian, Tom Holland, and I was listening to him uh, the other day being interviewed, and he made a fascinating point. He said this, he, when he was writing a book about Julius Caesar, he observed how when Julius Caesar conquered Gaul, Julius Caesar boasted in the records that he had killed one million people in Gaul. I think there were three million people, the population. He, he killed a million and he took a million prisoner. Uh, so he boasted. And that was seen as just a brilliant thing. What a hero. And what was interesting, Tom Holland was saying he was writing about this at the same time as uh, the Iraq war was taking place. I don't know if it was the first or the second. But he was really struck because as the generals came on TV to talk about how the war was going, what they were saying is boasting about how few people they killed. Uh, we, we, we've tried to save us, preserve as much human life as possible. And he said, that really struck me. Something's shifted. Something shifted in this world uh, to where Julius Caesar can boast, what a brilliant thing is I killed so many people. Doesn't that say I'm a great guy? And today we look at that and think, you're psychotic, you're mad, you can't do that. Something shifted. And Tom Holland powerfully, I think, argues that the things that shifted is the impact of Christianity on the world. And understanding what we've been seeing here in the Bible that God made humanity and through that conveys this infinite worth on each person. Now, why is that encouraging for us in our evangelism? Well, I think it says if we speak to our friends who are not yet Christians, we actually share a lot in common. 
we actually share in common that we all believe that human beings are really worth something. The difference is that we can say, well, do we know why that's the case? Do you know why that's the case? Can you explain that? Can you justify that? Let me help you know why that's the case. I think in so many ways our culture is actually living off the capital of Christianity, but without Christ. Our culture wants so much of what the kingdom brings, but not the king. It's a little bit like Roadrunner. Do you, do you remember Roadrunner? Anyone used to watch Roadrunner? Um, with, uh, what's his name? Wiley Coyote, is this right? And he keeps on running over cliffs. And he keeps running, and then he sort of falls down. And uh, in many ways, that's our culture. Our culture's been sort of running along, holding, in many ways, Christian values, and now is removed from God himself and Christ himself. And at some point, it will just fall. And our role as the church is to point people back to Christ, to say, do you know where this comes from? You might be here, and you wouldn't yet describe yourself as a Christian. Uh, but you might like a lot of what Christianity brings. Well, can I encourage you to come back to God himself, to Christ himself, who underpins this, who does actually give us the value, the dignity, the worth that we as human beings have. So, how do we understand ourselves as human beings? Our humanity is given. Our humanity is glorious. But when we look around us, we've got to be honest, it's also ruined. It's ruined. I think it's Francis Schaeffer that described humanity as glorious ruins. I think it's a brilliant description of what it means to be a human being. Look around our world today as we've been praying. We know, we know there is so much harm, so much damage, so much that is ruined We'll know that in our own lives as well. And yet there is something glorious. Why is this the case? Well, what's, what's gone wrong with humanity? And the thing is, the problem is not always what we think it might be. Uh, I, I was reading the other day about uh, what creatures are most dangerous to us. Have I said this to you? What, what creatures out there do you think are most dangerous to human beings? I would straight away think about sharks, lions, hippos. I mean, they're really dangerous, aren't they, hippos? You don't want to get on the wrong side of a hippo. But actually, this article went and said, well, actually, and I'm sure you know the answer to this already. Uh, what is the biggest killer of human beings in the world? Mosquitoes. Look at that, Sandy. Brilliant. It is mosquitoes. Uh, the article went, knocking off around a million a year. Uh, Human beings, next. Someone said human beings. Uh, almost half a million homicides a year. Then, snakes. 100,000. Uh, next, freshwater snails. Killed 20,000. Can you believe that? Something called assassin bugs, 12,000. Flies, 10,000. Um, tapeworm, 700. This is grim, isn't it? Um, hippos is only 500. Lions, 250, and sharks. Do you know how many sharks there is? Five. Five. That's all. 
The point is this. Sometimes what we think is dangerous for us is not actually the real danger. And I wonder, in, in the whole area of insecurity, uh, we think our problem is external to us, is outside of us. And that's what generates our insecurity. Other things, other people. And actually, I think the Bible says, fundamentally, yes, things can be problematic on the outside, but fundamentally, what is most dangerous to us is what's going on within. What is going on within our hearts. And what is going on within our hearts as human beings is that we want to be like God. I mean, that's what expressive individualism is all about. It's wanting to be our own creator, to be like God. Um, Ezekiel 28 uh, is a great little line on this. Uh, This is actually said to the king of Tyre, but I think it it, is true for, for all of us. We read this, it's on your handout. In the pride of your heart, you say, I am a God. I sit on the throne of God in the heart of the seas. But you are a mere mortal and not a God, though you think you are as wise as a God. And that's what's really gone wrong with the human heart. We want to be God. We think we're as wise as God. We want to be self-made. The pride in our hearts. That is what brings us ruin. And it brings us restlessness. And it dislocates us. And it brings us insecurity. That is the problem. Because that is not matching ourselves up with reality. Everything's out of place. Everything is fractured. And it's that sense of it, when we feel insecure, that should be like a red flag for us, saying something is wrong here. Something is not right. It's like an alarm going off in our lives. And what it should do is say, we need to go to the source of all security. We need to abandon trying to be self-made. And we need to go instead to our maker. What is wonderful, and we're going to really dig into this next week, uh, is that the offer that Jesus brings is an offer for people who are insecure and broken, like you and me. Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And as we go to him, as we go to him, we can echo the words of the psalmist that says this. This is the the story of every Christian. He lifted me out of the slimy pit. You can say the slimy pit of insecurity. Out of the mud and the mire. And he set my feet on a rock. And gave me a firm place to stand. So we're to run to him. We're to run to Jesus Christ. To God himself, who is the rock, where we can find refuge and security and safety. Uh, We'll think much more about that uh, next week. Uh, But for now, we're going to sing in just a moment and and do that ourselves now. Come to God uh, to know our security, to know our refuge there, to know the forgiveness that he brings. Uh, Just before then, I just want to flag up um, what we're doing uh, now called the coffee time question. 
And actually, there are a number of coffee time questions. You'll see a little gray box at the bottom. It's just to encourage us to sort of keep thinking these things through. Uh, keep discussing them. I've actually uh, given away my handout. Um, so, uh, sorry, just thanks, Simon. Uh, these questions, just have a think about this. Uh, maybe chat it over coffee or uh, over lunch later on. Um, what examples have you seen of expressive individualism in the world around us? And then of these truths about our humanity, uh, that our humanity is given to us, that our humanity is glorious and yet it is ruined, which have you most lost sight of? And what difference would it make for you to believe, to recognize uh, that reality and to turn to Christ? So there's an encouragement to, to discuss, to think about it um, all together uh, a little bit later on. But for now, why don't, why don't the band come on up? And um, again, if you want to uh, be thinking more about this, uh, those books at the podcast, Be True to Yourself, Matt Fuller. Uh, Glenn Scrivener's brilliant book, The Air We Breathe. Again, another book of the term we did, uh, the podcast, Post-Christianity. Uh, really commend uh, to you. Uh, but for now, why don't, we, um, why don't we stand all together and uh, let me lead us in prayer. Uh, the prayer team will be available as well, um, so do make the most of that opportunity to, to, to pray with others. But let me lead us in prayer first. Heavenly Father, we come before you uh, this morning acknowledging that in so many ways in our lives, uh, we are not secure. And Lord, we feel the pain of that. We can see in many ways how this can damage ourselves and those around us. And so, Lord, we want to come to you and acknowledge and believe once again these wonderful truths, Lord, that you have made us. Our life has been given to us by you. You have breathed your breath of life into each one of us. And Lord, that means each one of us here is glorious. We are made in your image. Lord, perhaps particularly if any here are struggling with a sense of worthlessness. Lord, please might you know, or help them know, their glorious worth, their infinite worth that you've given to them. And yet, Lord, we also recognize uh, we are glorious ruins. And the damage comes from within our hearts, within the pride in our hearts, as we've sought to be God, as we've sought to be self-made. And so, Lord, bring us to our knees as well and help us to turn to your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom there is forgiveness, who came for people just like us. And may we know that glorious truth that in Jesus Christ we have been lifted out of the slimy pit and put on the rock Lord, might we know that? Might you, by your spirit, do a deep work in us now? Would we run to Jesus? In whose name we pray. Amen.